Welcome to the Allies Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Farino. Hello, this is Carmen Farino, and welcome to another edition of the Allies Podcast. I am really pleased to have with me uh, via internet, Lawrence James and Chris Holland of Connexus Technology. So welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Carmen. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I uh, I don't want to, uh, you know, play your ages uh, exactly, but I think I've known you two for 20 years. So <laughs> I think I, I met you right when you got out of school, practically. Um, and I have been impressed with the way you two not just have, have grown your business, connect, uh, you know, Connexus, but also the way you have both kind of tackled life. So I wanted to talk to you about... Um, how you balance those things. So I'm going to start with, um, with Lawrence. Lawrence, um, you are Brooklyn born and raised. Yes, I am. I, uh, do you get back to the neighborhood? I do. Um, at least let's say maybe six to eight times a year. My mom still lives in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um, I, always say that my mother made the best investment of anybody I, I've ever met. When I was in the first grade, she uh, bought a co-op in Park Slope. And now if anybody knows, um, you can't get in to Park Slope. I mean, literally, the mayor lives uh, a block away. Um, and they're like, you know, superstars all around. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I love Park Slope. I love Brooklyn. And so I get back as, as, as often as I can to see my mom. That's wonderful. And I, I know you went to, um, to a friend's school. Um, is, was education always an important part of your, your family and your life? It has always been, uh, very important to us. Um, you know, my mother was unable to go to college and finish college. However, my father was, uh, and my, well, he did. And my father actually passed away when I was three years old. So mm -hmm. it was very important to my mother that I had a solid education. And so I started out in public school. And um, I, I did that up until middle school, and it looked as though I was a little bit too rumbunctious for the New York public school system. So my mother said, I need to send you to a Quaker school to, to simmer you down. And that's how that started. That's great. Yeah, the Quakers can do that. They're, uh, <laughs> they're, they're a great group for, uh, for having you simmer down. Um, how, how about you, Chris? Where did you grow up? I grew up here in Philly um, in the Logan section of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. um, you know, near Broad Island, kind of North Philly-ish, uh, but that's kind of uh, my stomping grounds. My parents are still there as well. And uh, you know, I both of you have a um, kind of a deep connection to your faith. So, you know, Chris, um, has that been something that your that your family has impressed on you um, since you were young? Yeah, I mean, so um, my uh, I got introduced um, into the faith um, really via piano lessons. Uh, my <laughs> piano teacher at the time um uh invited me to come to Sunday school um as a child and my parents said take them uh so mm -hmm. <laughs> they uh they came by picked me up and that was kind of my introduction into church um at an early age and from that time I, I never left and when you um when you became part of that community how do you think it uh it changed you how do you think it kind of changed your your point of view um, so, um, the way I began to understand, um, you know, as you talk about in church, the Jesus Christ and the way um, Jesus loved um, us, it, it began to make sense for me when my Sunday school teacher um, kind of loved on me and cared for me the same way my mother did, but this mm -hmm. woman didn't know me. And I could not understand it for the life of me, but that's how I began to understand the connection. Um, so essentially, my church became my other family, um, and and that's how I grew up. How about you, Lawrence? Um, did you have the the same type of connection to faith when you were when you were younger? I had a similar uh, connection. So my mother, uh, my faith and foundation of faith definitely comes from my mom. She uh, went to Catholic school in Manhattan. Um, is a devout Catholic, and you know I went through um, confirmation. First communion. I was an altar boy, um, and then I came to Philadelphia for college, and that's when I met uh, my wife. 
And she had, you know, she's very strong in her faith, but she was a non-denominational Christian. So I started Mm -hmm. visiting churches with her and I found just a, a, an expansiveness to spirituality that I didn't experience as a Catholic. And that's pretty much where I, you know, gave my, my heart to, to Jesus fully. And I've been Mm -hmm. um, trying my best to serve, you know, ever since. How how do you, I'm going to throw this to both of you. How do you think that having that type of connection, um, influences the way that you kind of engage with people? Because I noticed that you're both extremely empathetic people and you're, you're constantly looking at ways to, um, you know, it's going to sound silly, but connect, uh, and, and elevate, um, relationships. So you can talk over each other. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, um, you know, church for sure definitely shapes my worldview, um, and, and how I see and understand and process, um, things that happen in the world and relationships with folks in the world. So, um, you know, just the, the whole idea of supporting, helping, um, folks when they need it, because you also need it Mm. and it's kind of being a cyclical thing. Uh, so, you know, my introduction even into um, really diving deep in the church was uh, I was invited to work with a youth ministry or work with kids on Saturdays. We had a Saturday program mm-hmm. and um, and it was like, OK, I don't know if they like me, but uh, we're going to try this out and see what happens. And it, it literally changed my trajectory, um, I think, on what I was planning on doing in my life at that time. How about you, Lawrence? You know, I love people. I've always loved people. And the one thing I really like about my faith is the opportunity to serve and connect with people. Mm -hmm. Um, So from various uh, groups within my church, I've been afforded that opportunity to learn about people, um, work with them and so forth. The other thing about my faith that I think um, is so key to me and important, it provides me a, a, a moral compass I believe everyone needs a moral compass. And as I see things going on in the world, as I see things occurring with people, I'm able to kind of measure that up against something to determine if it's for me or not right and wrong. So Mm -hmm. I I appreciate that about my faith. Well, and I, and you know, I have a, I have a son who's uh, a senior in Catholic school. And um, so he has a uh, honors religion class Mm. and they, they, well, they, they had a philosophy class, but they canceled it. And uh, I asked him if he asked them why. Because I figured, you know, you don't have to clash, you can at least ask why. But they didn't tell him. Um, and so he he wound up taking this advanced religion class. And it's really challenging him um, to think about what you just said. You know, you, there's a level of empathy and community. And the thing that was fascinating to me is that they're trying to remove the concept of the other. Hmm. You know, there isn't somebody on the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. There doesn't have to be a fence. And so I I wonder, you know, what have you seen over the last 15 or 20 years in terms of the evolution of the sense of one side or the other? Um, You know, you guys have won a lot of awards in business. You've been, you know, top 40 African-Americans, you know, best new business, all these different things you get recognized. And so you're you're put in these these situations where you're getting honored at a relatively young age. Um, do you see more or less kind of stratification or more or less barriers coming up um, in the world over the last decade and a half? Oh man, Carmen. <laughs> um, uh, you can take this one first. Well, um, barriers as it relates to kind of being African Americans um, growing in this, in this world and business and so forth. Is that sure? Is that- sure. Yeah. But even, even just as people, I mean, yeah. you know, it's funny because, you know, as I, I came from a blue collar family, I'd never been in a boardroom. I had nobody in my family went to college. Right. So for me, there was always this perceived barrier, like, Oh, they're different from me. Like they, right. they knew what ad drop was. I know what ad drop was, you know, those right. little things. Right. And as you get older, you know, you might get more comfortable being in a room but I've noticed that people tend to slice and dice things more these days than they did in the past. So I don't know if you're feeling that too. So, I mean, it's interesting, um, this interesting topic. So Chris and I of late have been thinking more about the opportunities where we've been successful in the past um, along our journey and where we see ourselves being successful in the future. 
And what we've what we've learned is that um, the diversity play is a lane that has been established for us to have an advantage um, in areas or in opportunities where we are disadvantaged. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is, you know, we may be going up against a lot of larger companies. Um, they all have relationships that uh, go way back and we're new to the scene. So there's really not much of an incentive for them to do business with Conexus, especially mm-hmm. when it may be a, a commoditized product or service. So, um, you know, having certain diversity programs has helped us to get to the table um, and get past barriers that otherwise we may not have been able to overcome. <laughs> wow. How about you, Chris? Yeah, for me, um, I mean, yeah, the, the, the business side of it, uh, I also uh, pastor a church in Southwest mm-hmm. Philadelphia, and I've been here for almost six years now. Um, and talking about the stratification, I, I think, especially during in 2020, it, it <laughs> we really, really see it happening. Um, and what I felt uh, over years now about myself and how people perceive me, but also seeing it now, is that we don't see the value in the other or in other people who are not us. Mm. Um, and when you don't see value in someone or even don't really see them as human, you can treat them as non-human. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that's as far as not providing proper nutrition or allowing food to be a thing or incarceration mm. or injustice. Like all these things that begin to mount and stack up become really easy when you don't see um, the humanity in someone else. Uh, and, and I, and I can't say that it's become worse. I just think that we see it more now. Um, yeah. I think. Yeah, that may be true. I mean, I've noticed, um, I think Will Smith said that about, um, about a lot of the, the shootings that we've seen and the police brutality is it was always happening. We, we could just film it now, you know, yeah. you can see that I, um, First of all, my uncle and uh, an aunt uh, lived on Buis Avenue in, in Southwest Philly. So, um, you know, it's interesting whenever I hear different pockets that bring me back to my childhood. It's uh, it's it's funny when I see those connections again. Um, but the thing that gets me when I look at diversity and inclusion is that, you know, if you, if as you said, if you can value people's different backgrounds and experiences, I find you can solve problems better. You can kind of triangulate points of view better. Why do you think there's a conflict there with not wanting to see a different point of view or bring a different point of view in? What's the, what's, what's going on that makes people just want to stay in their bubble? Personally, I I believe it's fear Mm. and, and the love of money. Um, you know, from a, a, a business, um, perspective, that's been pretty much the barrier that we've experienced at times. We may bring a better solution. We, we may bring a uh, different perspective or a way of attacking a problem, but mm-hmm. because um, you know that would require someone else to not make as much money or to allow uh, another company or another group such as us in, we've been strategically uh, you know, kept out of certain opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think that. Go ahead, Chris. No, and in, in creating diversity or engaging in diversity takes work. Um, mm-hmm. It's not the easiest thing because it requires you to listen <laughs> and it requires you to, you know, um, give up some things for someone else that's around the table. And often people don't want to do that. Mm. But I, I think that there's a. I guess there's a an ability and anonymity with the rise of the internet. Even if you look at um, like an, an online bid process, right, where where people can remove the personal. Um, but the reality is, a lot of projects succeed or fail based on the dynamic of the teams. So I found, you know, with with your team in particular, with with the two of you, um, you know, credibility over time builds trust for me. So. I never had to blink about whether you would say what you were going to do and then do what you say. But that's hard to prove on a piece of paper or, you know, electronically. So how do you 
from, I want to say from a business side and then a personal side, from a business side, how do you present your culture and present your ethics in a way that people know that um, you're the right type of company to work with? I can, I can start there. Um, one thing that we've started to do more recently, which I wish we had done earlier, is you know, Chris and I share who we really are as uh, owners and founders of this organization. As Chris mentioned, he pastors a church and he's involved in a number of youth initiatives in, in the area. I, my, my wife and I, we lead a uh, ministry where we lead church services in a local jail. Um, we, we want uh, the community to know that what type of people we are by the service um, that we provide for others. And with that, you can see that the quote-unquote boilerplate uh, customer service text that you might see on our website, mm -hmm. there's credibility to that because you see who we are as people, and it's not just something we copied and we pasted from some website because everyone's doing it. There, there's, there's that uh, kind of backing to it as the people who lead the organization. So, so knowing that, what would you, if you look back 15 years, if you could tell the two of you when you were starting out, um, what would you tell yourselves to do differently? Well, I think one thing for sure um, is don't be afraid or intimidated. Mm -hmm. um, most of the folks that we encounter uh, today even um, that we're looking to do work with or, uh, or wants to work with us, they're no smarter than we are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not, I'm sorry, they're not smarter than we are. Like they're, they don't, they, yeah. they, they don't have a super knowledge that we don't have. Um, but it took us, took me a while to understand that. Um, yeah, like just, just go for it. Don't, do not be intimidated at all. Yeah. How about you, Lawrence? Any, any, anything else you would tell yourself? For, for me, I would have to say, I would tell myself the, the world is a lot larger than um, you, Chris, and Conexus. And you should be looking at ways to connect with that world to help you grow faster. One of the things I felt is that we've done early on is, you know, we didn't have the right strategic partners. We didn't have mm -hmm. the right relationships. And we didn't really understand or know the value of such relationships. And um, I, I think if we could go back, we would have strategically um, you know, tried to bring other relationships to the table that would have helped us to grow faster and to have more support. Because oftentimes it's felt, felt like Chris and I were, you know, it's been Chris and I against the world and it, mm -hmm. it didn't, doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a thing that's happening now that I, I don't think has been well articulated, but I'm, I think you guys uh, probably are, are feeling it too, that the problems that we're trying to solve and the, and the opportunities that we have, um, require kind of cross organizational collaboration. You know, I look at climate change and that can't be just done by governments or by businesses or by NGOs. You kind of have to have this, um, you know, you have to move away from a competitive business landscape to a more collaborative business landscape to get a lot of these things done. Do you see more of that or do you wish there was more of that sentiment in business? I think I wish there was more of that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the work that we've done uh, has been around, you know, data integration and, and connecting various departments and people together so they can share information uh, yeah. to kind of get, get the appropriate jobs done. Um, the crazy thing is that work is still happening today in 2020. I'm like, yeah. Why? Why is this still a thing? Why is healthcare still disparate? Yeah. Why? I mean, you you name it. And and what I think I've seen is because there's money in dysfunction. Hmm. There, there's people get rich off of keeping things separate apart and creating. The higher the barrier, the higher the hurdle, the more money you can make. So I think it comes back to what Lauren said earlier, and it's an issue of greed. Mm. It, it is truly an issue of greed. Um, and, and not feeling like there's enough to go around when there is more than enough to go around. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing when you see somebody, you know, make, uh, $180 billion during a pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, right. and you, you realize yeah. that there's, you know, there's literally, there's no way 
on earth anybody could spend that money. I mean, there's just what's the sense of having that? That's just an abstract number. There's a um, there's a book by Michael uh, Sandel called The Tyranny of Merit that says, um, you know, this this idea that if you work hard enough, you can be successful. That no matter what, um, you know, that's the American dream to make more money, to to do more, you know, to acquire more. And he challenges that and says, um, you know, what's the value of work and contribution itself? Not for money, but for value that you generate. And I'm I'm looking at, you know, the the Scandinavian governments are now funding companies that fix things more because they want people to take, you know, a dishwasher and have it fixed, not thrown away. And it is getting at what you're saying, Chris, that um, there's money in dysfunction. Um, do, do you think that, that there's a, a hope <laughs> that the U S which seems to be kind of split evenly between two different types of, you know, thinkers can get to that place where we are looking at, you know, how to value everybody's contribution and it's not, you know, a rat race or a competition for more. I personally feel as though it is where we're headed and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to be an easy road to get there. There's going to be conflict and turmoil, but I, I honestly believe it's kind of a evolution of us as a culture. Um, you know, we're, we're getting more on top of one another physically. We're running out of space. Um, you know, we're, we're more connected than we have been ever through technology and through these connections and these uh, conflicts that arise, solutions will be developed. So I, I, I honestly believe that at some point when we get through all of this conflict and turmoil, um, there will be a positive outcome at the end that will be greater for, for, for mankind. And that's my idealist uh, self. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Chris? You feel the same? Yeah. I mean, so one of my um, mentors from afar, I've never met, but I listen to often is Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that has kind of been some of his mantra from the very beginning, like stop trying to race to the bottom. Stop. Don't, don't try to sell the cheapest thing, but create the thing that promotes value to who you're trying to serve. Um, and the more people that are teaching that kind of message and are trying to get out there doing more social enterprise work, social entrepreneurs, um, it it's, it's happening. It's rising, um, slow and steady, mm-hmm. but, but it's rising. Uh, when the goal becomes no longer to get rich, um, but to do well and to serve like that. I feel like it's happening. Um, just not at the clip that, that I desire. One of the things that, uh, Connexus did early on was that we built, uh, software from the ground up, like, you know, things that never existed and that was challenging. Right. But mm. nowadays there are so many different modules and open source tools that you can string things together and you can leverage what someone else did a year ago by using code or a function that will be beneficial to you now. And I, I honestly believe that that's going to help technology, software and solutions um, you know, continue to get more and more powerful as we utilize this culture of leveraging the success of the person before us. And I don't think that was the mindset maybe 15, 20 years ago, but that's mm. where I believe we are now. Is, is there a generational shift? Are you seeing your kids or maybe people who are between, you know, your, your children and you being more open, being more engaged? My kids are 21 and, uh, and 18. And they have a view and an acceptance of diversity that is so amazing. They don't blink if somebody changes their pronoun. They don't, they immediately adapt to kind of the way that people want to be perceived. And I remember things taking years for people to adapt that way. Um, so I see it in my kids, but I'm wondering if you see it because you're in a, a much more fast moving field than I am. And you're both also reaching out probably more as leaders in your communities than I am. Yeah, I, I definitely say, um, I think it comes back to exposure. Mm. Uh, you know, my kids for sure are exposed um, to a life into a way that I was not necessarily growing up on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it, it is that exposure that kind of gives them this that worldview um, that allows them to see people as people. Uh, and, and, and it does and has made a difference in how they kind of navigate um, in the world. Mm-hmm. And I just want to echo that. I, I definitely agree with that. And that exposure is access, you know, to, as Chris said, other ways of thinking, other types of people with spurs curiosity. And um, one thing that my mother has always said, and we kind of joke about it, we're just waiting for that generation of the uh, those racists to die out. You know what I mean? I feel as though there's not as much hate that's being preached um, every day into young people as it may have been maybe 30 or 40 years ago, because even though the, the, the nation is struggling with change and race issues, we are moving forward. The majority still said, get him out of here. You know what I mean? So I, 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 I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. When you, when you look at, at that evolution, right. And you talk about access, um, is it the, is it based on the internet? Is it based on media? Is it based on travel? I, you know, I didn't get on an airplane until my high school senior trip. Um, but I made a commitment that I, the discretionary money that we had, I would take my kids to different parts of the world because I wanted them to see things that I couldn't see. And I've, I found that's changed them. That's opened them up to how similar we are. Do you see that as well? Yeah, I mean, so I have children that are your age, Carmen. Uh, mm-hmm. That's twenty-one and eighteen as well, um, and younger. Uh, and they, for sure, um, have been exposed to more of the world uh, than I had at their age. Also, uh, my daughter, for instance, and this again, this was a goal of mine. Um, so I took her on a mission trip with me uh, to South America. She was in high school. She went to Germany. She just went mm. to Israel with me about a year ago. So yeah. I'm like, I want her to see more of the world than I ever have and, and hopefully go way beyond because I'm like, there's the, like Lauren said, there's much more out here um, than, than we'll see in our own neighborhoods. So, you know, touch that, see that, smell that. I agree. Um, however, my kids are uh, still young. Um, mm-hmm. My son is nine uh, daughter just turned six and we just had a five month old uh, baby delivered during COVID. That was a challenge a story for another day. Uh, but for them, it's it's the Internet. It's gaming, uh, these massive multiplayer experiences and these massive collaborative experiences. My kid have a, my kids have a YouTube channel. They follow kids and their their channels from around the world. And they're realizing that they they all have more in common than what separates them. And I, I believe that's because we're getting closer together um, and technology, I definitely believe is, is, is a catalyst for that. So there's a, it's funny that you say video games. Um, my, my one son who's, who's 18 um, started doing Minecraft and it was funny because he would, he would build these um, blocks for, for my, his older brother, his older brother would say, build me a city. And then he would go away for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid would build them, you know, make a bunch of blocks and make a whole city for him and he'd come back and then they'd play with their guys. When he started doing it online, he was, you know, people would come in and out of these places. And then they started to play this game that was um, this massive game um, that was took place in Venice. And um, and it was the collaborators were archaeologists and they were architects and they went through different periods of time. And we actually went to Venice for two days. We were in Venice and um, I didn't know my, I didn't know anything about how to get around Venice. And we went up in this Campanile, this big kind of tower and we got up there and they both looked around and they're like, oh yeah, we know where we are and where do you want to go? <laughs> That's awesome. And you know, and the, and the kid was like the youngest one, I think maybe it was like, I don't know, eight years old. He said, yeah, I'm more used to running on the roofs, but I, I think I can figure this out on the streets, you know, because <laughs> this video game was completely accurate. Right. That type of experience. Um, the, the thing that I'm pushing on with my kids over and over again is if you have that connection, bring empathy to it. Mm. Ask the questions. You know, f- if you find a kid that is um, awkward or, you know, doesn't know how to engage, reach out to them. And I found that 
it can either be highly isolating for kids or it can be highly enabling. Um, do you do you see that as well? Um, and and how do you how do you guide your kids in in that type of world? So I'm I I'm glad we're hitting this topic right. So the massive multiplayer gaming collaboration. Mm-hmm. One of my my passions is virtual reality, right? Mm-hmm. So I have a virtual reality center set up in the front of our house, and we recently just got a whole nother setup so that our, our family members can enter virtual worlds together. Now oh, wow. throughout, throughout COVID, it's been a catalyst for massive. Uh, online virtual reality experiences. Why? Because no one can can go anywhere, right? So what do you do at night? You know, you log into this virtual world. You're at a you know at a open mic or a comedy show with people from around the world, and you're having a great time together. You're learning about one another. So I watch my son as he plays these games, and you know he likes these war games where you have to team up with people and mm-hmm. and you know. Um, destroy everybody in an area. And I'm watching him build these social skills as a leader to connect with people that he's never met and he's only going to have 20 minutes with um, and he'll never see again. And so mm-hmm. I totally believe that this is helping um, you know, develop social skills and to develop um, communication skills as it relates to people and strangers that he may not have gotten any other way. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And, and I, I, I agree with you that way. I think that it lowers their, um, their barrier to entry when they think about kind of other places that might be awkward for them, you know, because they're used to, you know, being introduced to people quickly or engaging with them quickly. How about you, Chris? Um, yeah, I mean, my, my kids game a ridiculously amount of hours as well. Um, but I, I also believe that um, building culture uh, is intentional and, mm-hmm. and, and we have to uh, say to ourselves, what do I want to expose my kids to? Um, mm-hmm. so that they might have that ear or empathetic heart toward people. And again, for us and for them, uh, it's been our church community again. Um, mm-hmm. because this is the place where, you know, you're often asked, go help Mrs. Such and such up the steps, you know, mm-hmm. go help carry that bag for them. You see that they're struggling with that. Let's yeah. go do this. Let's go feed, you know, these folks over at this program. Let's so taking the children with us to all of these different places, doing all these different things, um, the thing people for people, uh, you know, and not just um, a, a news clip uh, begins to change their minds and hearts or shape their hearts and minds around what they see and how they perceive people. So um, one of my children is highly empathetic i mean i don't mm-hmm. i couldn't call him this it's just who he is and whenever there is someone or or a child or someone that has um who's differently abled um when he mm-hmm. was a kid he would just cry yeah just because he recognized that oh they can't do what i'm able to do freely mm-hmm. or you know how how will they get home or how will like he just had these questions um because he recognized that he was different um, than they were. And and it's that kind of thing that, you know, um, when our children, when we have to let them go out into the world, that we hope that those lessons and, and culture is uh, sticks with them and, and that they understand that, you know, we all need one another um, and, and that's who we should be in the world. That's a hard one. I mean, you're, you're right. It's um, when you have a kid who's extremely empathetic and you watch them go through the pain of, you know, not being able to help somebody or, um, you know, feeling the, the frustration that somebody else feels. That's a, that's a hard one to help them put into context. Right. But you, but you have a, I think the example that you give personally of reaching out and offering a hand, um, that to me is the, I mean, that's why I'm doing the podcast, right? I don't know how to help, you know, people who are, um, being mistreated. So I started a podcast to learn more, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to just start talking to people. Well, what does it mean to be an ally? You know, if you're standing on the street and somebody gets yelled at, um, do you step up? Do you step in? You know, do you protect people or do you walk by? Um, so, so, you know, that's what I, I, I look at. Um, I try to take examples farther away so I interviewed a um, uh, an American Indian. I was going to say Native American, but she insisted that I say uh, American Indian woman. Um, 
And, you know, I said, I'm nowhere near you in South Dakota and I don't understand what that's like. And, you know, what she explained to me was that, um, you know, the, the world has to change. People have to realize that, you know, you can't blatantly oppress people. <laughs> you actually have to deal with the fact that we are all, we all have the same amount of rights. So you throw, I throw that to you. You, you know, we live in a metropolitan area where, you know, in Philadelphia, 26% of the people are below the poverty line. We have uh, a very diverse, um, group of cultures, um, and they tend in the in neighborhoods to overlap, um, to kind of you know uh, the Venn diagrams of the Vietnamese community versus the Italian community versus the African American community. They overlap. Um, how do you find yourself being an ally? When do you think now's the time for me to reach out to that different group? Um, again, I, for me, I think it's just a part of my particular um, ideas of how the world works. And and for me, it's different, right? Because so, again, I'm a pastor and the denomination, I'm, I'm Presbyterian, um, mm-hmm. USA. And I've been fortunate that my colleagues um, run the gamut in terms of cultural expression, uh, diversity. I mean, you name it, we have it. So, I am lucky enough to be with and among um, these folks on somewhat of a regular basis and also be in tune with what's happening in their communities. So mm-hmm. my good friends, you know, she's a Native American um, uh, pastor. And, and so she's often talking about what's happening in that particular community. And I'm like, man, I wouldn't have known. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so I think it goes to intentionally branching out and being with people who are not so-called your people when there's not a tragedy is it's doing it <laughs> as a part of who you want to be not because there's a problem yeah. and i have to stress that it, you, you don't decide oh my gosh black people being hurt now i need black friends no <laughs> that's not how it goes like, uh, get your friends now like get your get your priorities in order <laughs> So when there is an issue or when there is a problem, you're already there. You're not trying yeah. to get there, you know? Yep. I, I totally agree. And I, I, you know, I look at it the same way. I look at it as strategic positioning based on who you are, right? So for mm-hmm. me, um, I serve on a few different boards in which opportunities will present themselves for me to get involved. For instance, um, I'm on um, a board for a school, um, or I was on this board in Chester, right? And an opportunity presented itself where they were looking to learn more about drones. Well, drones is something that I'm very passionate about. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I created a curriculum for the kids in Chester to learn, uh, you know, kind of drone aerodynamics and physics, as well as how to fly um, and potential careers in, in drone technologies. And my heart and my dream is to be driving through Chester one day and see a whole bunch of drones flying back and forth and knowing that because of, you know, my heart to serve and the love for the kids there and my passion for drones, and I was strategically mm-hmm. placed there to make a difference, Here's, here are these, these drone pilots that are going to be taking this technology to the, nec- the next level, you know, uh, 10, 15 years from now. So for me, I, I really like to try and put myself in a place where I'm able to see opportunities that are going to tug at my heart because I believe that's the type of person I am. Well, but I think that's that's the part that I find so fascinating, right, is that this this ability to put yourself or the willingness to put yourself in an awkward situation. Like I, I am, I'm one of those people that can't, I have never watched a, an entire episode of The Office, okay? Uh-huh. And the reason why is I get more embarrassed by other people being embarrassed <laughs> that I physically can't watch it. I like, I have to turn the, I have to turn the channel. <laughs> um, and, and, but I've decided in my personal life that it's great for me to put myself in positions where I don't know something or where I don't understand something. And I remember, you know, two things that, that I, I really want to tap into because you both have done this um, in faith. My grandmother joined a Baptist church in Virginia 
and it was predominantly African-American and there was a lot of singing and dancing and it was loud, not like Catholic singing, you know, which is like your, your left foot is like nailed to the floor, you know? Um, and I was fascinated by that. And then I was fascinated by, they just kept feeding you. <laughs> you know, just this idea of there was food and it was like an Italian, you know, thing, you know, as much food as, as, you know, the Italians gave us. And then the other one that I, that I think was interesting is I took the CEO of the company I work for, um, to youth built, which is where they take kids, you know, young adults who've been adjudicated and they teach them how to be green contractors and other things, you know, they give, help them find careers. He went into this classroom thinking he was going to talk about building science, but he ran a business that worked with SpaceX and NASA. And he mentioned that these kids went on for an hour and a half, pinging him with questions about the universe. And he, he was only supposed to be there for 10 minutes <laughs> and he left after an hour and a half. And he said, um, I, I have never gotten that many interesting questions in a conversation about aerospace. He said they were not limited by fact. They were asking him about time travel and they were asking him about, you know, how, how you could build a spaceship in space, all these things, because they, they weren't bound by fact. Right. Right. And he said, can you imagine if you had those kids in a room with, you know, aeronautical engineers because they're not limited. And I think about that when I, when I think about putting yourself in an awkward position, you know, the, the ability to do that and the value of doing that, as you said, Chris, don't reach out to your, your friends of or people of color, you know, to find a friend when something bad happens. Um, the, the city of Philadelphia over the last two weeks during this election process has gone from protests for killing an unarmed mentally ill African-American man to showing that it can come together peacefully across every socioeconomic racial background that's got to that's got to strike you as interesting in terms of putting yourself out there being there for people is philadelphia unique in that way is there something happening here that is kind of encouraging or do you think that's happening in other places like that? Or you think that's an American thing? Or do you think it's just a, a you know, the, the outcome of, an, of another generation kind of taking over? So for Philadelphia, I think last week was definitely a very specific case or kind of an outlier. I mean, the whole country is waiting to see what is going to happen with Pennsylvania and these ballots um, that they tried to say were not um, legal. Um, so mm -hmm. that, so I, I, how often does something like that happen? You know what I mean? Mm. So I think that brought the good people of Philadelphia together. I honestly believe that if this occurrence happened on the same scale in, in other places, um, mm. you would have the same, you'd have the same outcome. I believe that there are good people, um, and there are bad people everywhere. And just like, um, with that incident with the police, it, it was a negative, it was a bad thing that happened. It, it, it brought out a lot of bad things. However, the good people last week came out to stand up for righteousness, to stand up for the votes and the rights of people um, who deserve um, to have their votes counted. So mm. I, that's, I mean, that's what I think. I think if you stir up any atmosphere with good or evil, um, there are people that are going to gravitate to that thing and you're going to have an outcome. So I'm just so happy about last week that Philadelphia was able to come together and all the good people came out to fight for righteousness and to make sure that everybody's vote is going to be heard. Well, you know, I, I, I see that Lawrence and I, and I, and I agree with you that there are these inflection points, right? Where you get the chance, um, to see what your community can do. And, you know, that was an example where I felt, um, the, the idea of Philadelphia being a series of neighborhoods, right? And if you, you can go from Southwest Philly to North, Northeast Philly, and you can kind of get a sense of those little micro communities. But when you bring them all together, um, something interesting happens. And I think that's the part that I'm fascinated with. If you combine the idea of these kids who have a greater exposure to diversity, and then you put, you know, an opportunity for people to stand up and they have a willingness 
to come together. That's kind of the alchemy of it. That's the thing that I'm really excited about. So, you know, what what do you think is is happening now in this changeover? You know, you're you're generation X guy, right? You're kind of in the sandwich generation. You're not a millennial, you're not a baby boomer. What do you think we're witnessing? These people who are between the two largest populations um, of the world. Is it going to be transformational? Is it going to be more of this, you know, one step forward, two steps back type of thing? And when do you think it's going to kick in if it is? Yeah. So I believe that we're moving forward. I believe we're moving forward, uh, as I mentioned earlier, because we're getting closer together and there. Mm-hmm. We don't have we don't have a choice other than to work out our dis- differences and come to a place where of compromise, a, a place where we can meet, um, mm-hmm. you know, one another and have understanding. So I don't believe like I don't believe that we're going backward. I truly believe this is a social evolution um, for where we're going to move. And I believe where we're going to move is going to be a better place. And um, technology again, has been this catalyst of exposure. I mean, you know, you can, before you, you weren't able to see all of these injustices and things um, going on in the world or in your community. And it wasn't as easy to get people to rally around you. But now with mm. the cell phone, um, now with apps like Citizens and um, Instagram and all these different apps you can use to build a collective for a cause, I believe there's purpose in that, and I believe that it's going to collectively move us forward as we're getting closer, as we're learning about one another, and as we're bringing our gifts and talents together. It may be rocky, as it is right now, mm. but at the end of the day, I believe it's going to move us into a better place. Do, do you agree, Chris? You see the same thing? Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, I mean, you try to look at the arc of history. Um and mm-hmm. see where things are, and 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 I think every major spark forward, um, you know, there might be a step or two that we take back, but ultimately the the progression is is forward, um, and 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 I think we do see that and recognize that. So we're we're coming up um, <clears throat> toward the end of the 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 program, and I usually end with two questions, and I think I want to spend. Um, you know, the next 10 minutes or so kind of really going through this because you guys have a, um, an interesting perspective. It's, they're very simple questions. So what, and now what? So I'm going to throw that out to you after, um, you know, the black lives matter after COVID after, um, me too movement after the four years of the Trump administration and the eight years of the Obama administration. So what, what does it all mean? that we're living in this massive amount of change? Um, By the way, I love that deep inhalation of breath. Like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's, it's like how all this time, how many things have actually changed and how many things have stayed the same? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think now there has been more of a recognition of the things that have stayed the same. And, uh, so what's next, I believe is not letting up the pressure of the change that's needed and or desired, um, by most of the people Mm. who are suffering. Uh, I, I, this, this has been a year to remember for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for Lawrence with the baby being born and all this. Um, and, uh, and, and it's some, and now we can't ignore it. It's like, it's like, you know, you see a, a really horrible car crash. You just can't unsee certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't unsee this. You yeah. can't unsee this year. You, you can't unsee all the things that have happened. Um, so when someone asks, you know, well, why are we doing this? What, what, what's the point? How are we helping the world? Well, let's not unsee 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and bringing the things that are reoccurring, continuously reoccur back to people's memory um, and, and helping them see what a better imagination, what a better day could look like mm. and moving in that direction. Mm. Uh, so I, I think this has given all of us the opportunity to call out the ridiculousness around the table when it happens. 
um, whether that's around our dinner table, around the board table, um, around our neighborhood table, whatever it is, we can call it out and not feel ashamed about it because you saw it just like I saw it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of what I, I feel is next. You know, I, I echo that. I have a similar perspective and I'm going to start by talking about, uh, maybe, maybe about what's six or seven years ago, I was on a mission trip to Liberia Mm. and in Liberia, um, they were not that far out of um, civil war. It might actually might have been a little bit longer than that. It might have been maybe 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And what the people there were dealing with was that, you know, for the sake of names, John over there um, is enemies with Bob over there because Bob had to watch John murder his family. And now that the word is, now that the, the entire war is over, Bob and John are still living with these horrible memories of the past. Mm. What do you do with that? Well, what we recognized was a great move of forgiveness, a powerful move of forgiveness. You know, John and Bob, they live right across the street from one another, but they have to find a way to come to grips with, you know, the civil war and all the atrocities that they were both a part of on one side or the other. And, that's what I kind of feel is going on and is going to happen on some level here in the United States. We can't deny that 47, was it like 47% of the, the vote mm-hmm. went to this guy and my neighbor next door knows all the things that he said. And he said he would do, um, you know, to black people and, and so forth and everybody else. And I have to look at that neighbor every single day, um, knowing this and knowing that they lost like, so I, I have to come to grips with accepting him on some level for who he is, my neighbor, and mm. forgiving that so that we can move forward in some type of individual or um, individual for- forgiveness. And I feel like that's going to happen on a, on a larger scale. We're all going to have to come to grips with um, all the things that have been happening and what side that you know one person was on on the other. And there's going to have to be a move of forgiveness is what I believe in order to move us forward. You are, you, you, first of all, Chris's piece, I could have, uh, I could transcribe and um, that could be a speech. And so thank you for, for the way you put that together. And what Lawrence you're talking about, I think is the next big idea. The, uh, the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission, right? This re- restorative justice body that was bringing together the oppressor with the oppressed mm-hmm. and listening to each other, listening to somebody say they were sorry, they acted horribly, they, were, they treated somebody inhumanely, allowed people to see those people breaking down to you know, put their shame and their hate in context. And maybe they weren't forgiven, but they were heard. Mm. And I think there's something about being heard, really heard, not just shouted at, argued with, that is the so what. And I think that's the thing, if you ask me what I would, what isn't around that I would really want to think about, it's what you said, Lawrence. And I think what you said, Chris, is, you know, you, you, you crib something I've been, I've been hawking for a long time, which is that there are board table discussions, there are dining room table discussions, and there's kitchen table discussions. And the ones I like the most are the kitchen table discussions because they're the the most real, but we need to have them all. So now I'm going to throw the other one. We did the uh, so what. Now let's look at the now what. Um, they announced a couple of days ago that there could be a vaccine. So we might be able to start to have a more normal life, um, knowing that what Chris said was that we we shouldn't forget. We should call these things. And, you know, Lawrence, what you're you're talking about here is, is how to move forward. Now, what what do you think is going to happen if we flash forward? Let's say we're, we, we come back eight months from now. And we say, was your prediction right? What do you predict the next six months or a year going to be like? We're still going to be going through this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Groundhog Day scenario, you think? I mean, man, you know, e- even if there's a vaccine, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they were already talking about 
who's going to get it first and when it's going to roll out. And if you know, like I know, and I know this community that I serve and that I'm with, we're not going to see that vaccine till 2025. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's going to be more of the same again, unless we continue to keep pressure. Hmm. Um, and we get this healthcare disparity fixed and we <sighs> give people, you know, um, the dignity uh, and, and humanity of of what we all desire. You know, health, um, <laughs> uh, you know, jobs, you know, so it's, it's like in eight months from now, I don't think a whole lot would have changed um, in mm-hmm. that respect. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful that in, um, you know, two years from now, honestly, mm-hmm. um, that there there would have been more of a push and a step forward. And the people who are out in the streets now stay in the street and continue pushing because regardless yeah. of who's in office, it doesn't make a difference who's in office. These policies don't change overnight, especially on a local level where mm-hmm. a lot of these things impact most of us. So um, the pressure has to stay on um, in order for a real change to come. Wow. What do you, what do you think, Lawrence? You know, I, honestly, you know, Chris and I, we have a lot in common. Um, we, we think a lot alike, and then we also have our differences at times. But this is another area where I think we, we're thinking alike. Um, I'm concerned with all of the tape that um, – uh, the new administration is going to have to get through just to get anything done mm-hmm. and um, what that's going to mean from a federal uh, national level to the local level as that kind of trickles down because it always does in some way or the other. So, you know, I don't think things are going to change that much. I honestly do believe there's still going to be um, some turmoil that's going to occur and it kind of has to occur um, in order for us to get to where we need to go, um, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of on the social level. Um, However, on the business level, I believe as uh, technology has been a great catalyst uh, for people in terms of being able to, you know, work remotely, being able to uh, at times do more with less. I believe that um, technology is going to continue to evolve um, how we do and what we do as it relates to work. Um, I believe that there are going to be other opportunities that are going to be born for people to to do work remotely, which is going to be positively, you know, it's going to be a positive thing for people's, you know, pockets at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but however, from the social side, I, I, I feel as though there's still a lot of, um, a lot more battling that's going to have to occur before we get any place meaningful. Yeah. I mean, I, you, <clears throat> I, I think I've been doing this podcast for five months and, uh, I can check that. The, this conversation has probably defined better and more accurately something that I think is really important, which is kind of the emerging vocabulary. When you talk about dignity or you talk about reconciliation, I don't hear these things, you know, the dignity of work. Uh, I don't hear these terms being used. And maybe that's where they come from, is from you know, the closer, closer you are to kind of real human interaction um, across a community, which both of you do from the way that you, you interact either with a congregation or with other groups, you get this repetition and the repetition bubbles up into concepts and then you start to define them. And that's the part that um, I can hear. I can hear that you're having these conversations. I know you're talking to people about these things and it might not be every day and it might not even be every week, but that's the point of this for me, for doing this podcast is to, to tap into that, that collective kind of view. So, you know, I don't do this that much, but I would, I would recommend you to put your heads together um, and, and, think about this some more because I think you're both onto something. You're right when, when it's funny when you two disagree, but I like, uh, you know, you mostly agree. Um, but, uh, I, I personally just tend to enjoy when you disagree. Um, <laughs> but, but I would, I would say here you're, you're dancing really close to wisdom. Um, because it's not going to be easy. 
and there's going to be a, a really strong desire to uh, turn our eyes away. Mm-hmm. And I think you, um, the things that you do and the people that you talk to share it more widely. And if you want to come back here and share it more widely, I'm happy to do it. If we want to, you know, have a, a larger roundtable discussion and bring in more people, I'm, I'm happy to do it because I think, um, I like the way you, I've always liked the way you two think. Um, but I, but the combination of business and, and social, um, issues is, uh, I, I think that's where, that's where the movement can come from. I think it, there's, you know, there's money in that there's, you know, that's, that's the, the issue, the root cause issue is, you know, you have to break down what Lawrence said. Um, so, so final, final thoughts, guys, what, what would you, for people that are out there listening, what, what do you want them to take away from this concept of, of allies and why, it, you know, may be more or less important right now? So, so Karma, you said something that, that made me think, um, you know, that, that Lawrence and I are close to our communities, uh, you know, where we are, where we live and, and folks that we serve, uh, but we're also very much so in the business community and, you know, IT tech firm for how long, Lawrence? Over 17 years now? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and in and, and that world, yet we still feel and face very similar difficulties from people who are on a so-called bottom and where we are right now trying to break through ceilings um, and, and trying to do our work and, and push forward. You know, people just say, well, just do better. Just 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 you do your job. You know, go out, just get that contract. We've been trying for so long mm. and it's and it's taken almost 20 years for us to actually break through um, to a place where we feel pretty good about where we are right now. Why mm. did it take so long? <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I would like to say Lawrence and I are pretty decent people <laughs> and we and we work really hard. But why did it take almost 20 years? And the contracts that we're landing now, we're like the only African-Americans landing some of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and frankly, it's because the system is not set up for us to succeed. That exactly. is that, that is the reason. So we have to find uh, ways to um, kind of not manipulate, but to find ways in which we can succeed in a system that is not meant for us. Mm-hmm. And that's that's honestly kind of where I feel we are. I, I We had this conversation a few months ago, um, Chris, and I said, basically, if it's a commoditized product or service we're selling and we're going up against, um, you know, other companies that are not diverse, I'm not interested in it unless there's some type of diverse play because that that contracting officer is going to go with XYZ company that they've gone with forever. So there has to be that type of incentive for us to have some type of a level playing field or at least a close to level playing field to win that contract, even though we're a better and more established uh, you know, organization. And then I've also said, you know, as we look at business opportunities that are in front of us, if there's not a clear strategic advantage of a novel product um, that we're bringing to market um, as diverse people, mm. I'm not interested because they're going to often go with, you know, Joe Blow or, um, you know, Amy Smith for that commoditized product or service. And as you know, Connexus, we provide um, managed IT services and IT staffing services. So that, you know, that there's a, a number of companies and large organizations that provide those services. So it's very difficult for us to compete on, 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 that, on that level. Yeah. So for me, what I would leave, Carmen, is a, a lot of the pre-described um, solutions for, you know, what people uh, just give them access to capital, just, just, you know, have them start their own business or just have them do this, this and that. Um, they're too simplistic. Yeah. And, and and it's been talked about year after year after year around what the solutions are to, you know, to make things better. And I believe there needs to be a deeper dive and mm-hmm. there needs to be more conversations, again, diverse conversations with people who have gone through and fight through this system to tell you what you've prescribed isn't working. Mm-hmm. And, and until those conversations happen, the real conversations happen, we're going to keep seeing the same thing. So I, I just desire for people not to... Uh, recite the same rhetoric and mantras that we've been hearing over the years because something else needs to happen. Dig deeper. So here's what I'm going to throw out to you. Um, so I would love to come back. If you, if you know some other people, if there's, you know, I know you're engaged with the Philadelphia chamber of commerce, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's come back to the table with this. 
um, because I, I agree there's a there's a frustration in your voice. It's in mine too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to reconnect on that. Um, and I want to thank you um, because you know for 17 years now, right? Um, if I am stumped by something, if there's a way for me to find a reason to reach out to you guys, I will do it. And I never hesitate. I never question that what you are giving me is the best, most honest solution, even if the answer is, Carmen, we don't do that. <laughs> we can't. That's not what we do. So I can tell you doing this for 30 years, that's rare that you that you have that level of integrity every day, all the time. So thank you for that. Carmen, I just want to say thank you. It's been a pleasure um, to work with you in the past. And I remember we had that um, Prayer Connexus initiative that you spent so much time um, with us trying to develop that, um, you know, for nothing in return, only because it was a passion project and you believed Mm -hmm. in us. So, you know, I thank you for that. Um, I thank you for having us on the show today and for the work that you're doing, bringing awareness. I, 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 you know, I'm pretty sure I'm in agreement or Chris is in agreement. We both know people, um, organizations who've had similar uh, challenges, however, have been successful as we have and have stories that will be beneficial um, to the next uh, young person starting a business. And our hope is that you can learn from us so you don't have to make the same mistakes and that your path will be a lot more um, fruitful uh, sooner than ours was. No, I'm ready to help for that. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That's all the time we have. Um, Once again, um, thank you for tuning in and listening to uh, the Allies podcast. If you have questions or comments um, for Chris or for Lawrence, please send them in and we'll get them to to them. Uh, And if you have ways for us to improve the podcast, we're always interested. Uh, And I'll tack on to that. If you know somebody that you think would be cool for us to interview, hit us up and let us know uh, because we're looking for people to talk to. All right. Thank you. This is Carmen Frino, and I appreciate you listening to the Allies podcast. Mm -hmm.